Alrighty, uh, y'all are listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and uh, I'd like to introduce to y'all the star of our show, Russ, K5TUX. Take a bow, Russ. Okay, um, I took a bow. <laughs> well, for those of y'all who've been uh, been listening to us on a consistent basis, apparently we're building quite a following, and uh, we do appreciate each and every time y'all download the show. And this time, I think we're going to move on around to uh, working a little, or at least getting set up to work a little digital communication. But uh, before we get started, let's do the mail. Our first one is from Roberto, XE1GXG, down in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. Hello, uh, Roberto. Roberto writes, enjoying the podcast, fun listening as well. Say what sort of DSP software is available for AF level filtering outboard with Linux? I want something like Echo Filter. Tried running Echo Filter under Wine and it crashes. Question two, how do I get rid of the programs under Wine that appear in the pop-out menus? And uh, Roberto wrote us a second one, which says, uh, FB on all, sent a question in under episode one, uh, what DSP is available in real time under Linux, tried echo filter under Wine, same question again, running... Uh, Xubuntu and Ubuntu on a Dell EVO 410C. Oh, yes, have FL Digi. Copies PSK just fine, but can't seem to trigger my Vox. Oh, I've had that problem before. On the old Kenwood TS820 in XMIP mode. Yes, Ubuntu recognizes the sound card and the mic audio port. Have resorted to my favorite HRD, Digimaster on the Windows XP machine. Maybe you have some ideas on how to set it up. Good podcast, pleasant give and take between you fellows. And once again, that's, uh, 73 in, no, that's Roberto in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. Okay. Let's take these one at a time now. Uh, DSP software. For AF leveling outboard in Linux. Okay, I don't know, but you know what, uh, Roberto, we will find out about that. We will, I will check into it, and I'm sure Russ will check into it, and we will take a look at it. As far as running under wine, wine is still a little flaky on some stuff. Well, it's still flaky on a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that runs under it, and we will uh, definitely look into that one. Okay, the next question was, how do I get rid of programs under Wine that appear in the pop-out menu? I'm sure he means the drop-down, Russ. You, you probably have more experience with that than I do. I normally just reinstall the operating system. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be quite as dramatic as that. Of course, the one piece of information he kind of left out... No, he didn't leave it out. Um, he's using Ubuntu. So, uh, but he did leave out the desktop manager. He didn't say whether he was using KDE or GNOME or something else. So it's kind of hard to say for sure. Um, there are, 
the you know the hard way to do it is to go into the dot menus under your home directory. There are things like dot kde dot gnome, and under there you'll find where the desktop references to your menu pointers actually are, and you can go under there and just remove it. But GNOME, for example, and KDE both have menu managers. And in, I'm looking at Debian here, and it's under Preferences and Main Menu. And you can go in there and edit the way your menus look and what is actually in the menus. So that's one way to do it. I'm sure Ubuntu and Xubuntu, which are the two ones that he uh, mentioned, have something similar. And as far as KDE is concerned, I know it also has a menu manager, but I'm not sure what it's called. And that would be a way to remove something from a menu that you don't want to see. Of course, just removing it from the menu doesn't necessarily mean you've actually removed the application. If you want to do that, you need to go under the .wine directory in your home directory. And you'll see a, a drive underscore C and underneath that, you'll find the regular, what you would normally find in a Windows file system structure, like program files and so on. And, of course, you'll want to remove the program from there as well, so it's not taking up room on your hard drive. That's pretty much the best explanation I can give without anything too specific, but that should work for you for removing something from the menus. Well, there you go, Roberto. Uh, we'll check into that a little bit more and get you some more information on that also. Next question he had was, uh, you can copy PSK just fine, but you can't fire the Vox on your uh, TS820 and XMIT mode, transmit mode. Well, I've had that problem also, and most specifically, if you're running a US serial to USB adapter or USB to serial adapter on your machine, you might want to see if this Dell plug the uh, the side which triggers the transceiver, the transmit on the transceiver into the serial port. Even on Windows machines, I've seen that the uh, uh, adapters sometimes will not trigger the radio's transmit uh, simply because they're not wired up to function that way. Uh, if all you have are serial USB connectors or even USB-only connectors, then you probably need to check your cable or your... Uh, audio levels. Sometimes you can have a good audio level if you're trying to fire the Vox. You've got the good audio level, but it's not quite enough to trip the Vox circuit. We'll go ahead and research that one more also. Roberto's got me kind of busy, and let's go ahead and move on to the next email. Next email is from Ray, KO4RB. Ray's getting to be a regular email-wise. Well, before I get started with this one, hello, K9ZW has joined us in the uh, in the chat room. Wanted to get some of that live feed action happening. So, back to Ray, KO4RB. Ray writes, once again, guys, another great episode. Keep them coming. I'm glad you started this episode with a general discussion of repositories. For me, repositories were a foreign concept until I did my first install. Having a common area with different types of programs available for download is not something Windows users often see, especially when the downloads are free. The only equivalent I can think of would be a site like 2Cows. 
but two cows does not have the common installer manager like Linux, like Linux distros have. Repositories are a great feature once you get used to them. I would also suggest going through an install or pointing to another podcast with an install walkthrough. I think I, I think it will encourage more folks to try, try once they can hear how simple it is or emphasize again the use of the live CDs. I have burned live CDs of four distros and have booted my desktop with all of them. It's a great way to look, look at the basic features without removing windows or doing an install. Oh, Russ, he left you a little footnote here. Uh, Russ, please do your podcast notes similar to the way Richard does with uh, y'all quit comparing the shows. In addition to the notes and links, he posts info about featured music used in the podcast. On several occasions, I have purchased music from these featured artists. I not only learned something, but I get access to good tunes too. I have already sent you a uh, side email with a specific question on a song in episode four. Again, thanks guys. And that's KO4RB. Ray, you are, you are a joy. We'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about Gamma Leonis in a minute. In fact, I'm, Russ can do that. Let me, let me go ahead and point you some places. Yes, everybody go out and try these live CDs. There are plenty of, uh, plenty of distributions out there that have them. You know, since we are, uh, primarily focusing, focusing on Debian based, uh, distributions with this podcast, the first thing that comes to mind is Kubuntu, Ubuntu, Xubuntu, Xubuntu. Well, Russ, the, the best install, uh, tutorials I've heard on a podcast was, uh, Chess Griffin's show, which is no longer in production, but you guys can still get your hands on it. Uh, it was called, uh, Linux Reality. Linux Reality with Chess Griffin. His archives, I believe, are still up. Uh, do you know of any others, Russ? Um, actually, I haven't listened to enough podcasts, I don't think, to speak to this. I haven't heard any that have done a complete install. Personally, I'm still up for doing one ourselves, if that's the consensus of the listenership, as I think you, uh, alluded to in the last episode. Well, that right there, I, I think is going to be a good idea. We're going to get you guys, uh, you guys that are itching. We're uh, going to do our best to get y'all at least doing PSK 31. Then we'll probably back up and do an install episode because, uh, like I said, I've had several emails in the past. I said in the last episode, we've had several emails in the past that, uh, the tone of the emails was they would like an install episode and, now we've actually had somebody ask for it, then we'll put that on the list. Yeah, we'll go ahead and put an install episode on the list for y'all. So uh, tell us about Gamma Leonis, Russ. As I talked about a little bit in the first episode, Gamma Leonis is actually a friend of mine, Dave Long, who is a very talented guy and who was nice enough uh, upon request to actually write, compose, produce, arrange, and play all the instruments on the songs that we use for the intro and outro for the Linux in the Hamshack podcast. 
Now, he also has a friend, John Worsley, who does vocals on some of the songs, but we tend to play the uh, instrumental versions. Uh, the song he wrote for us has two parts. It's called Bacon, Linux, and Tomato. You can find it at the Gamma Leonis website at www.gammaleonis.com. Uh, so definitely go check that out and um, download all of his stuff. It's all really good. And if you like progressive rock-type music, you should definitely enjoy it. Now, the music in Episode 4 was actually not from Gamma Leonis. It was from another friend of mine uh, that I went to high school with way back, and I won't say when. And his name is Brian Litchfield. That's B-R-Y-A-N-L-I-T-C-H-F-I-E-L-D, Brian Litchfield. If you do a Google search for him, you'll definitely find several sites that he's associated with. If you go to verb.com, V-I-R-B.com slash Brian Litchfield, you can download a lot of his music. Uh, he's also in a band that plays locally in the southern Maine area with a friend of his, uh, Chris, and they're called Billy Billy. Uh, you can find them on MySpace at myspace.com slash Billy Billy Band. So that's information that I also sent out an email that addressed a couple of questions we had about where the music came from for the last episode. The first song was from his album called RPM 08 and was called Open Season. And the second song was from RPM 07 called Living Life Low. Both really good songs and they're very uh, fine uh, writers, arrangers, and musicians and they play roots music or roots rock. I recommend that everybody go check out the URLs that I gave you a little bit earlier, and that will be in the show notes in a little while, and uh, download some of his music too. Um, I really appreciate all of these artists letting me download their music and play it in our podcasts. And with that, I'll let you get back to the regularly scheduled program and to the next email. Okay, and our next piece of email is from uh, Larry, K5KLA. Larry says, hey guys. I love this new podcast that you are uh, going on, going on, and I appreciate it. I am interested in going Linux instead of the pain of Windows. Well, we feel for you, Larry. We really do. I am a newbie to Linux, and the thought of Linux and ham radio software is a wonderful thing. I just received a free copy of 810 Ubuntu from Ubuntu. Keep up the good work, and thank you for the service, Larry, K-A-5-K-L-A. Well, Larry, two things, my friend. You reminded me to tell these folks that are listening that if, for some reason, you are unable to download a distribution of Ubuntu, you can either purchase one online or go to Ubuntu. I believe they have a program to ship the live CDs. I haven't checked that. I should have checked it since the last time we talked about it. But you can get one mailed to you. All it takes is patience. Number two, Larry, K-A-5-K-L-A. And uh, thank you for writing to us, Larry. Next, we have an email from Ted, W-A-0-E-I-R. Pretty short and sweet and to the point. Nice job, guys. Keep up the good work. Linux and ham radio can always use more advocates like you. And that's signed Ted, W-A-0-E-I-R. And uh, let me tell you all about Ted, folks. Uh, Ted is one of the uh, guys that builds some of this amateur radio software. I went and looked him up on the Internet, 
And it turns out that he is one of the developers on TWPSK, TW Log, TW Clock, TWCW. It's nice to know that uh, the guys are listening. If y'all are using those programs, do potentially use those programs, we can always get a message through here at Linux in the Ham Shack. Thanks for joining us, Ted. We, uh, we sure appreciate it. This one's from Jeff, KD8JLF. And it reads, Hi folks, I want to thank you for providing these broadcasts. I have been a Linux person from way back in the early 1990s. Uh, I'm proficient with Slackware and have recently been testing out Ubuntu. I really like Ubuntu. One thing I would like to point out is that you reference often that Linux is for older and smaller systems. But I would like to point out that it also has the capability to be a major player in the GUI arena. You can check out my picture in QRZ and see that Linux can be a power player even in newer systems. I have a Dell XPS 700 with a dual-core processor, uh, 4 gigs of RAM, and an SLI dual video card configuration, and Ubuntu eats through all of that flawlessly. I do all my digital ham work on Linux now and love being able to have some so many applications going with no slowdowns at all. Again, thanks, Jeff. KD8JLF. And uh, Jeff's up in London, Ontario. London, Ohio. Sorry, missed that by a few miles. <laughs> well, uh, yes, Jeff, it is true that uh, we make a point of pointing out that Linux runs on the older, smaller systems. Yes, uh, we have brought up compas and some other things which are uh, definitely need a little horsepower to make them go. But uh, we're point, we're trying to help the amateur radio operators move over to the Linux operating system because I myself have found that the uh, equipment that I have, I keep running longer with less problems and everything else. But you are correct. For the, I listen to a few guys on other podcasts that uh, have some serious hot rod systems, and they can just make them go. Now, if y'all, for the rest of y'all, if you want to see what I'm talking about, if you'll go look up KD8JLF on uh, QRZ down at the bottom of his description or the description underneath where his call is, there's his picture is actually a picture of the cube in Compass, and. Uh, I have just recently got that working on one of my machines, and I'm really having a lot of fun with it. Compass really doesn't do a whole lot other than make your eyes happy. But that's okay, because we have to have some happiness. And by the way the cube is turned, it looks like he's running mm, a GMFSK, maybe. It could be FL Digi, but I don't think it is. Looks like GMFSK. You let me know, Jeff, one way or the other, what it is that's uh, showing up there. But, yes, it works equally well on the powerful machines. In fact, this uh, laptop I talk about, uh, it's uh, AMD 64, and sooner or later it's going to have a uh, uh, the AMD 64 version of Ubuntu on it. All righty, last but not least, uh, we have uh, a post in the forum from Kent, VE4KEH. 
and it's uh, titled Remote Operation. Once hams have their rigs computer controlled, we might like to know how to access them remotely. Topics can include SSH, public key authentication, X11 forwarding, and voice over IP. I can access my computer running FL Digi and have basic control of my K2, which is his HF rig, from anywhere on the Internet with a secure encrypted link using those tools. Keep up the good work, guys. Kent, V-E-4-K-E-H. Well, Kent, thank you very much, and yes, that is one of the things we're going to be looking at further down the road also. But one thing you need to remember is that Linux in Hamshack is... Uh, primarily focused at the new Linux user. That's an amateur radio operator. The new amateur radio operator, that's a Linux user. Or people that are new to both. So uh, as we move along, we will progress and uh, build on what we've done before. Holy mackerel, we've been going quite a while now. And I think it's probably time for us to take a short break. And uh, we'll come on back on the other side and uh, get started on this, this week's topic. My love is a butterfly Floating sweetly through a summer field Spreading beauty and love under the midday sun And your love is an entomologist Chasing me down, ensnaring me in your net And taking me home, jabbing a pin through my guts And mounting me on your wall A pin Your love is a pin through my guts My love is a sailing ship Seeking out a friendly shore To cast out my anchor Happily never to sail no more And your love is the ocean that drowns me Leaving my bones to be picked at by crabs And bringing settlers to the new world With smallpox and influenza And wiping out the indigenous population Smallpox Your love is smallpox You are a giant redwood Falling on a family of deer You are a soaring eagle Landing in a minefield You are a river Rising over the downtown levees You are Christmas in Iran My love is a tiny puppy Knowing only joy and trust Greeting each new day like a miraculous gift And your love is an underground dog fighting ring Catching me and keeping me in a cage on the brink of starvation Torturing me daily until all that I know is hate and rage And death holds no meaning for me Just like Christopher Walken in the end of The Deer Hunter Christopher Walken Christopher Walken 
Your love is Christopher Walken. Okay, and we're back. Boy, it's been a long one. I'll tell you what, it done turned off cold in here. I've had to light the dog and everything. All right. This time around, we're going to start a two-part episode on PSK31. Now, once again, like I said earlier in the uh, in the feedback segment, this show is designed for the uh, amateur radio operator that's moving to Linux, the Linux user that's just got his amateur radio license, or the, both, of, both of the above, new to both. We're moving on to the advanced topics, but we're going to start at the very beginning with PSK31. So uh, let's start out with hardware considerations. You guys that have been running PSK, y'all hang with us a little while, and we'll, we'll get to the stuff y'all, I know y'all are interested in. Uh, first of all, uh, most machines nowadays still have a serial port. Serial ports are great, man, because uh, they... That's what most of this stuff is set up for. You really want to be able to plug into these things, and the more you got, the better. I, I fielded an email. Uh, I guess it was earlier. It, it's one I got in that I probably read earlier that a gentleman was having problems with his sound card interface and been able to key his radio at the same time and that kind of stuff because he was using a USB, USB adapter to, to key his radio. The more serial ports, the better. Like I said, most machines nowadays, full-grown machines, come with a serial port. Laptops, on the other hand, a little more difficult. I know a guy that over here, in fact, he's our uh, radio officer, that specifically orders a serial port installed when he purchases a laptop for work because he works on older radio systems, that kind of stuff, and ain't no way it's going to work on a USB adapter. You can you can find serial ports on some of the more expensive laptops, and like you said, if you order it specifically that way, but no, um, a regular laptop won't. And as far as USB to serial adapters, those will work as long as they, as long as the def- the driver conforms to the RS two thirty two serial standard. But you have to be real sure about that when you get the one that you get, because otherwise you you won't necessarily have the rig control that you think you have and there you go i mean i'm i myself serial adapters is our next topic on this anyway so i'll just say this i have three different sets of serial adapters serial to usb adapters one set one pair worked on uh, my windows 2000 machine when i had it running one pair ran on the xp machine and uh now i have a single one that i use on my laptop which runs vista for uh uh, making sure I can uh, do D-Star and that uh, program my radios and stuff with it. But, yes, uh, USB adapters. USB adapters in the Linux. Now, that's something that's uh, I'm still having a little trouble. It's being a little challenge for me, but Russ is going to help me out with that because I'm going to pick his brain. Adapters may not be able to key your transmitter. That's something else I wanted to throw in there for sure so that uh, – or reinforce is that you might I've had trouble in the past even on Windows boxes being able to key the transmitter off a USB adapter it's simply because I guess the pin the pins are not exactly right there may be something different in the uh, actual configuration of the chip that's inside them I've got one interface over here 
that I could plug it into the USB adapter and it wouldn't work, but I reach over and plug it in the serial port and it worked just fine. All newer machines have USB ports. That's not going to be a problem and you can add them. If, if you didn't have them, you could add them. Oh, look, we have another listener. We got a chat box here now, y'all. Y'all need to join us for the live thing because y'all miss a lot of stuff. Me and Russ having cookies, cookies and milk and that kind of stuff. You got anything else to add on USB USB ports, Russ? Well, the real issue with USB is the physical limitation of the port. USB only has four connectors. When you plug it into the machine, and a serial port can have as many as nine. Of course, a typical serial doesn't use that many. But if you don't have a serial adapter that can actually cross, um, you know, that can actually close a connection between the ground and the transmit pin on whatever radio you've got, you're not going to get transmit. And that, you know, so that's going to be a problem with that. So you can avoid the whole issue by just having a serial port. That's the thing. I'm All my equipment up until recently ran on serial ports, and I've had to make do since uh, that became not an option. You know, I ran a PK-232 for over 10 years, and all I had to do was plug it into serial port and hook it up to the radio, and we were off to the races. Those are considerations you need to take into account as far as being able to plug into the back of your machine. Something else we need to look at is sound cards. A lot of times, it doesn't make a lot of difference when you're running digital. If you're using a packet controller or an all-mode controller or something like that, uh, but the nature of PSK-31 is it's so narrow-banded. The sound card has to be able to keep itself stable on frequency, number one. And number two, because of the fact that it's an open card, it's susceptible to uh, external noise, noise from your machine. Internal sound cards, you probably need to look for the better quality cards. Nowadays, you can get uh, all kinds of sound cards. Sound cards are not hard to run across at all. The internal sound cards, like I said, that you can pick up, pick them up cheap, but the lower the quality, the greater the chance they're going to be susceptible to uh, a noise inside the machine. You're also going to want to sound card that's compatible with Linux, and most of them are these days. Linux has really good support for internal and USB-based sound cards. However, I would definitely say that if you happen to get a Sound Blaster-based, you know, a Creative Labs-made sound card or a sound card with that chipset on it, um, you're going to have a lot of good luck. A lot of computers these days are coming out with the Intel 8XO-based um, chipset, and those work, but they don't have quite as good a support, especially in the mixer capabilities. You can use the default sound card in most cases. Um, they're pretty low end by default. And in the case of like Dell and Gateway and some of the major uh, vendors like that, you can just throw in a Sound Blaster-based card for about 30 bucks. And if that's what you're going to be using for your rig and your digital mode communication, it's probably worth the money. Right, and um, one of the things I did want to point out is that the onboard sound cards, for the most part, in the older machines, I now I'm all my equipment's pretty old here, y'all. Is uh, it's not as stable. It's not real stable and as far as keeping the frequency right dead on. Uh, they tend to tend to have audio frequency drift. It's not enough for you to hear with your ear. 
but when you're watching it on the screen, you can really tell it. I had another good point, but it slipped smooth away. It'll come back in a little bit. And what is the uh, the bandwidth exactly of a PSK transmission? I believe it's 31 hertz. Somebody on the on the chat box tell me while I look for it. Well, I could have looked it up myself, but I want to hear you answer. Approximately 31.1 hertz, and that's pretty narrow. Yeah, that's extremely narrow to uh, be picking something out of the air. Like I said, you've got wider modes, ready, packet, Amtor. I'm on the Amtor kick. I had a discussion about that on on uh, at another location the other day. But, yeah, it is extremely narrow, and uh, that's one of the reasons it works so well. Okay, now we have drifted way off. Uh, external sound cards. External sound cards, to me, would seem to be a better option. I don't currently run an external sound card, but I'm ha- also having trouble on my PSK transmissions because the noise in my computer is right dead square in the middle of the PSK subband. Nowadays, external sound cards are relatively inexpensive. Uh, I was looking around the other day, and uh, I was seeing them for $14, $15, $17, so uh, they're not a bad buy. Uh, they have, they have, they're much more available than they used to be. I found, uh, several brands when I was looking around. And most plug into USB port. I say most because I didn't find any that plug into serial port, but it's entirely possible that they're out there. <laughs> I think a serial port is probably too slow these days to handle the uh, bandwidth of a typical audio, especially CD quality audio. You know, you you're limited to limited on baud rate fifty seven six maybe. I don't know. I haven't lo- haven't looked at it lately. The hardware rate on a serial port is um, one hundred and fifteen two times two, so whatever that is, two hundred and thirty thousand four hundred bits per second. That's uh, that's the hardware rate at the port. Of course, once you well, get to a device. Um, it may or may not be anywhere near that high. You know, uh, I quit running external phone modems and went to running packet and just didn't keep up with all this stuff. So that's why Russ is here, because he knows everything. It comes from being old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another thing about the external sound cards is they're not subject to the noise problems encountered by internal cards. They're normally outside of the computer. If you have a noise problem from the computer, it can normally be solved by moving the sound, the external sound card away from the computer. And I know myself, I've got two or three uh, USB extension cables around here, so I can put stuff all the way across the room if I need to. Uh, there's a, a power drop across the across the length of the cable, but if we did it the right way, it wouldn't be amateur radio. <laughs> Plus, they have their own internal clock, and if you pay enough for an external uh, external sound card, if you go out and buy an external sound card, chances are that the clock is going to be able to keep the frequencies stable enough for you to run PSK31 without audio drift. I would add that if you get an external USB-based sound card, that you should see if you can get one, and I I don't know the specifics on them, but... I would hope that they are available with drivers that represent actual sound cards like Sound Blaster or Intel 8XO or something similar to that and do not 
show up as USB audio devices. And the only reason I say that is because USB audio devices under Linux, support for them is pretty poor. And I hate to say that, but it's something that needs to be referenced because it is the truth. And it's not to say that a sound card won't work if it's represented as a USB audio device. It's just that mixer capability and the ability to use some of the features of a typical sound card will not be available under Linux. Typically, bi-directional audio can be problematic using USB audio devices. So that's something to keep in mind, and we probably, or I probably should investigate a little bit further and see if there are any of these external devices that actually work, register like an internal card chipset, because those will work much better. In the chat room, Steve, K9ZW, he says that uh, one of the tech guys he knows recommends the M-Audio external cards. And they were recommended to him by a tech guy, and they're stable enough for field-critical portable use, is what I'm being told here. Also, uh, when I was looking around, I did find uh, some that were designed by Sound Blaster. You really can't go wrong with Sound Blaster cards. They've been around a long time, and uh, I've always been pretty impressed. We've been going a little while, and we probably... Need to take us a short break. How do you feel about that, Russ? Well, I'm always up for breaks. They, they work for me, and I can get myself something to drink, and then we can come back and uh, beat on this a little bit more. Yeah, let's all, let's all go get a sip of something, and uh, <laughs> let's all go get a sip of something, and we'll see y'all in just a minute. All this walking in there, just want to lay my broken body down. Never talk and never really care Just watch my life come circling around
right, and we're back. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna see if we can't whoop this out for y'all and and continue to make this at least uh, the proper length for y'all to be able to listen to it when your boss is yakking at you. So that brings us to sound card interfaces. We've talked about uh, serial ports and sound cards, so let's talk about interfaces a little bit. There uh, are two kinds out there. There's pre-built, and there's uh, the ones that you build yourself. Now, I myself have been uh, in the game long enough that I'm not a great uh, builder of radio equipment. I can build the, the basic stuff, the necessary stuff that I can that I need if I can't get it anywhere else. But for me, it's always for me, my personal preference is uh, if I can get it pre-assembled and tested, I do so. Man, I saw her ugly. Anyway, <laughs> pre in on the pre-built side, we've got the you know first up we've got the rig blaster. Now they they've got a pretty good name out there, and um, they've got several models of sound card interfaces uh, that work with uh, serial and USB ports. Some of them will even even allow you to hook a microphone up to the interface. So you don't have to deal with that unplugging and replugging and all that mess uh, that we used to have to do. I remember when I first started using uh, sound card interfaces, I was running the uh, a Kenwood TS440S, and the only way to get the audio in was through the mic plug. So if I wanted to run digital, I plugged it in. Plugged it in. If I wanted to use the mic, I unplugged it and plugged the microphone in. And that creates a lot of wear and tear. So it's a big advantage in some cases to have a mic hookup on your uh, sound card interface and just switch over to it when you get ready to use it. They're very well constructed. Uh, I kind of looked at them and uh, I meant to go over to a friend of mine's house who has one and take an even better look at, at one up close and personal. But they are very well constructed, but it doesn't justify the price of them in my opinion uh, you have to decide if that's what you really want they are kind of pricey the price range is from $350 all the way down to 70 bucks when you hear people talking about them rig blaster rig blaster rig blaster greatest thing that ever happened well you can drive a Cadillac or a Chevy but they're both made in the same place for my money you know we talk time and time again about Richard is cheap so uh Rig blaster, something I've never fooled with myself. Uh, you got any experience with the rig blaster, Russ? No, as a matter of fact, I don't. Uh, the only experience I have so far with an um, interface device is one that I built myself for uh, HTX202 and pack it way back. And uh, that was actually a pretty simple cable to put together. And just like you, I solder pretty ugly, but it did work, and I still have it around here somewhere. And while I did get a little bit of satisfaction out of doing that, um, I don't get quite the satisfaction that some amateurs do of putting together all the capacitors and diodes and all of that that some people do. So I definitely am into the uh, pre-assembled cable. And the one that I'm going to get now that I have my radio back is uh, the Rascal GLX, which is sort of a competitor, if you want to call it that, to the rig blaster and uh, the reason i'm going to get it is because i feel cheap as well but they seem to be put together well they 
come pre-assembled. They're certainly a lot cheaper uh, in general than the Rig Blaster. They typically sell for about 50 bucks. I think one or two are a little bit less and some are a little bit more, depending on how complicated the actual connection to your radio is. But for my radio, I'm going to get the, you know, I have a Kenwood uh, with the 8-mic pin and the external speaker connector, so that's a pretty standard uh, Rascal plug. You can get these at uh, PacketRadio.com, by the way, www.PacketRadio, one word, dot com, just like it sounds. Um, they do have serial and USB versions, and uh, they also sell them with both versions together for uh, a few dollars more. So it comes out to, you might as well buy both of them because you're not saving anything by not. Uh, they typically uh, come as a sort of a two-piece unit where one piece is the external device itself, and then there's a cable, which is sort of interchangeable. So you can just get the cable for an ICOM and the Rig Blaster for a Kenwood if you happen to have both kinds of radios. So that'll make it a little cheaper, ultimately. That's uh, that's all that came to my mind on the Rascal to start with. Um, you could probably throw in a few more details. Well, yeah, I own two of them myself. Uh, that is the preferred sound card interface of Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. You know I had to get that shameless plug-in, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the... Uh, they're built as a two-piece unit, so you have the cable, the plug-in for keying the radio, which goes to the serial USB port. You have the plugs for the audio, uh, the audio card, the sound card, and on the other side, you have there's a DIN connector on most of them, or at least on my two, and you can order extra cables, and all they plug in to the same plug on the uh, on the uh, interface side. So I have a Yaesu FT897. I also have cables that are wired for 8-pin Kenwood for uh, some of the VHF radios I have around here. And I still have a, a TS430 that is my mobile rig, but if I had to plug one of my rascals into it, I could. Cables are pretty cheap. They run about $9 to $30, depending on what radio, but the uh, average is about 20 bucks. You can also buy the Rascal as a kit. If you're a builder and you want to build, then you can buy the Rascal as a kit. For most radios, most all radios are about 50 bucks. The uh, Rascal for the ID-800 is 70 now, I myself don't need a rascal for the ID-800 because if I run digital on my D-Star radio, it's going to be D-Star digital. But that pretty much covers that. And, yes, uh, Buck's a good guy. Uh, he and I used to spend a lot of time on the phone when uh, he wasn't quite so busy. And uh, let me tell you, you get something from Buck, if it don't work right, he'll make sure that, it, that you're good on the deal. Plus, he's really good about sending out all the software you need plus some. Um, you normally get a get a CD with whatever you purchase from him that's got a copy of the catalog and some uh, digital software, but it's mostly Windows, unfortunately. Russ gave y'all the uh, the URL for them. He's got a lot of URLs, but the easiest one to remember is PacketRadio.com. PacketRadio.com. If you look it up under Buckscom, that's the name of the company. Uh, it's a nightmare to get to it. Uh, 
I also wanted to let y'all know that uh, the rig blaster, and we want y'all to go look at all these before you make a decision. We don't want you to make a decision just on what we say. Uh, the rig blaster, you can go take a look at it over at westmountainradio.com www.westmountainradio one word dot com with that that pretty much brings us to the signal link usb the signal link usb i recently heard uh, a lot of good things about it i'm in the process of getting my hands on one so i can test drive it and uh, i will give you all more information on it in the future but it's an inexpensive interface I've been told that it has a self-contained sound card. I know from reading the literature it has uh, extra volume controls on the signal link. So instead of adjusting your volume, your uh, audio levels in the computer or adjusting your audio levels on the radio, you just reach up to the signal link and adjust your uh, audio levels there. It runs on USB port. It is USB 2 compatible. This is a top-of-the-line piece of equipment. Um, works with all operating systems, including Linux. Very important for us to be talking about here. They run between 50 and 70 bucks, depending on where you get them. I, myself, use Universal Radio for most everything that I, I purchase. Unfortunately, they don't carry it over there, so I'm having to go look for it somewhere else. But uh, the signal link... I'm hearing, like I said, lots of good reports on it, and I will get back to y'all in a future show about this thing because I plan on test driving one really soon. So you got any comments on the signal link, Russ? No, this is one that um, several people have brought up in the past and are interested in finding out about the signal link, and I'm one of those people, I think. Um, it looks like a really uh, interesting device, and I would like to see how it works or how well it works with Linux as well. And one important point about all of these devices that we haven't mentioned yet, or we sort of mentioned, but um, we should make a special point to mention, is that regardless of which of these devices you pick, they are um, external to the computer. They're usually hooked up by USB, sometimes by serial. And in the case of the Signalink, there's a sound card built into it. And the important part about that is it's actually an enclosed device, and it's apart from your computer, unlike a sound card internal to your device, which can pick up noise and hums and other uh, interference from the computer itself. All of these devices use some form of isolation, both physical and internal, to guard against things like RF feedback that can cause signal problems, and they will avoid or eliminate most of the noise problems you'll get from having uh, other equipment in your shack. Exactly. And um, that was a big problem when I first started out on PSK. I decided to go ahead and build myself an interface. And uh, the program I was using at the time, when you un uncrunched it, when you decompressed it, uh, there was a file in there that gave you instructions on how to build an interface, uh, a little rinky-dink interface, to uh, be able to run PSK on your, on your computer to your uh, radio. And the problem I always had was squeals and hums and pops, and occasionally it would key the transmitter when I was doing something completely different on the computer. So, uh, yes, uh, all of these pieces of equipment are uh, commercially made. They are tested. They have uh, all the appropriate isolation and stuff. So 
for you new guys most especially, I would suggest you get one of the pre-built ones. You know, you hardcore builders, there's uh, plenty of stuff out there to uh, put you, point you in the right direction. Or you can order the uh, Rascal kit. He has a kit uh, that is not assembled and tested that you guys can build on. Which brings us to our next uh, next topic, or sort of topic. Uh, you can build your own. Now, for some of us, one of the main parts of the hobby is homebrewing. I know guys that build QRP rigs, amplifiers, test equipment, all kinds of stuff. They love it. I myself am not so much, so much a big builder. And I hate to say that, but that's the way it is. I, I know what the components are. I know how to put them together. Um, if you put a schematic in front of me, I can read it. I just don't spend a lot of time building stuff. Plus, I, like I said before, I solder pretty ugly. But there's plenty of kits out there available. You get all the parts. You get the design. You, you're able to sit down with it and work with it. And uh, there are a bunch of companies out there that are ready to sell you all the parts you need to build a sound card interface. Now, some of the software that comes with some of the software that you use and not necessarily in Linux because I haven't actually seen a piece of documentation on the PSK software that has a readme file or something in it that has designed for the interfaces, but uh, I'm sure they're out there. And if not, I'm, they're bound to have one on their website. The simplest design that I've seen is the one that I built when I first got started. Like I said, it wasn't great. But that was on an old Kenwood HF rig that was 100 years old and uh, everything else. And it only consisted of two resistors and one transistor. RF loops were a real problem on this thing. But it was enough to be able to key the radio and send the information down the line. I take that back. I had to run the box to key the radio with this particular setup. But the, you can build a unit to key the radio. Not difficult. Designs are out there. And out on the web, there's lots of websites out there that have designs for interfaces. They are too numerous to mention. I'll just mention a few that came up really quick when I was searching Google. And one of them is uh, www.qsl.net stroke WM2U. There's a lot of sp package stuff on his, uh, his site over there at qsl.net. But for those of you who have been over there, you know things run slow. So be prepared to wait. Or you can go over to www.waypoint.com stroke users stroke. What the heck is that? That's a tilde. That is a tilde. Uh, disco See, I told y'all we were in the same room. Tilde. <laughs> <laughs> disco Bay. And... Uh, there's a sound card presentation over there is what uh, what this looks like here. KK7UQ.com is going to have information over there also. So it's like I tell folks over on the other show, go out upon the web. As far as building stuff yourself, that speaks to the heart of what we've discussed as far as software, too, because... You and I both personally like to have things pre-built for us, sort of the idea of the DEB or the pre-packaged repository for software. We also like to have our hardware built for us before it gets there. But 
in the case of Linux and open source, and also in the case of uh, the amateur radio uh, tinkerer, the source, whether it be code or whether it be the components to build a device, are readily available. So it all just depends on how far into it you want to get, how much satisfaction you get out of really getting in there and doing things with your hands, or how much satisfaction you get there with just making it work. I'm sorry, I got a little distracted. We got a lot. I love our people. They're out there telling us all kinds of stuff in the chat room. Y'all need to come see us next time we record. Let me throw some of this stuff out. We got uh, the 10-tack Pegasus can be uh, uh, can uh, be used, and you can eliminate the interface completely. Uh, Steve tells us that the signal link uh, can be found over at www.tigertronics.com. There's a large list of sound card interfaces over at Eham Reviews Products Stroke 53. So that's uh, www.eham.net Stroke Reviews Stroke Products Stroke 5353. Well, that pretty much covers us on uh, on the first half of our sound car or our PSK 31 Extravaganza. I want y'all to send me some uh, emails and stuff, and uh, that way we know we're going to cover a couple of programs next week, and we wanted to split them off so we could take a little time with them. We didn't get too rushed because uh, these are multi, multi-programs, multi and they'll run multiple modes, and we don't want to get in too much of a rush trying to pick through the information and, and get you all the information you need. Okay, so do you think we have anything else to... Uh, to say about uh, sound card hardware this time around, Russ. I think we've laid a pretty good foundation on sound card hardware and rig control interfaces, and that is exactly what I think we needed to do to get to the next episode. And I know we started off saying this episode was going to be about PSK31. That's actually coming next time as part two of this episode. So, you know, tune in to episode six and we will definitely talk about PSK and some of the digital modes that you'll be able to use with the sound cards and rig interfaces we talked about in this episode. And see, that way, when we go to talk about the other digital modes, we can slide this episode in right in front of them. Save us a lot of work. Oh, we wouldn't do that to y'all. Okay, so y'all send us some uh, emails and some comments and... uh, uh, that way we can be completely prepared for the next show. You send me an email at kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com. Uh, occasionally I'm watching Twitter. I'm not uh, posting so much there very often, but if I'm in front of the computer, I, I'm probably watching Twitter. And that would be Twitter stroke kb5jbv.com or kb5jbv, no.com. And, uh, I want y'all to make sure you fill up Russ's mailbox this weekend because he's going to be an old man. He's It's his birthday this weekend, and uh, he needs lots and lots of stuff to fill up his mailbox. I'm not getting enough hate mail to forward to him, so you, y'all need to fill him on up. Russ, tell them where your mailbox is so they can fill it up with birthday wishes. People are still are starting to send me emails, so that's great, and I'm happy to respond to those. So it's a wonderful thing. And my email address is uh, k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com. And I am uh, on Twitter as well. You can find me at twitter.com slash jrwoodman. I still haven't made the jump to my call sign yet. It's still a ways off, but we may get there. 
So I think we're going to wrap it up for this time. Thank you all for tuning in, and we will uh, be back same time, hopefully same time, in about two weeks. That's right. Y'all, y'all tune in, and, uh, and we'll see if we can't all get smart together. My name's Richard, KB5JBV in Balt Springs. And I'm Russ, K5TUX in Flippin' Arkansas, and no, that's not a joke. Good night, everybody. <laughs>